Welcome to Student Talk, an official podcast from the Australasian College of Paramedicine. Each episode, we discuss hot topics, ideas and tips for paramedic students just like you, hustling to enter the dynamic world of -of out-of-hospital medicine. And now, here is your host for the day. Please enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm Jasmine, and welcome to our second episode of Student Talk. I'm delighted to introduce our special guest today, Dr. Sandy McQuarrie. Thank you. No worries, Sandy. I'm pleased to have you on the podcast today. I can see that you have extensive achievements within the paramedicine field, seemingly as a Canadian paramedic, academic lecturer, and now having completed a PhD. Would you mind if you further delved into your background and what makes you ever so passionate about paramedicine? Yeah, well, I think you've got it right. I am passionate about paramedicine and and patient advocacy. I did my initial paramedic training in 1992 in Prince Edward Island, Canada, and worked my way up to having roles in in both ground, air, um, fixed wing and rotor, did some senior management, but kind of switched over to paramedic education quite a few years ago now. And I found that that's a really good niche for me to be in. And it allowed me to do something that I think we're going to talk a lot about today, and that's study the health and wellness of paramedics. Because I think my lived experience as a paramedic has made me realize that maybe there's times I wasn't as healthy as I thought I could or should be. And there might be others the same way. So that was the real, that was the drive to undertake that PhD, which I just finished last year. Wow. Thanks, Sandy. In some stalking, so your PhD thesis, Fit for Duty, is all about the health of paramedics, as you just said, um, and the demands of this job, how it influences our health. The topic's very relevant to today. And there's so many coexisting roles as paramedics, which requires really good health. What motivated you to write about it? And can you give us a good background of your thesis as well that you wrote? Yeah, so we'll divide it into two. We'll leave the thesis part for a moment. But I just alluded to in my previous answer about my own lived experience as a paramedic. But Jasmine, it extended beyond that. So people that I trained with, 1992, didn't didn't have what I would consider full and productive careers as paramedics. And I, and by that, I don't mean that you everybody that you or others that graduate after you have to have a 30 year lovely career and get a cake at the end. But I think the careers of paramedics are being cut short. In other words, paramedics aren't getting to be paramedics for as long as they want to be paramedics. Whatever it's two years, five years, 12 years. So that was the impetus to study my lived experience, the journey of others that seemed to be, to me, to be cut short. And the longer I was in paramedicine as a, you know, as a deputy chief of the Ottawa Paramedic Service, we saw very high rates of uh, injuries in paramedics. And it's true in a lot of Western countries, you know, so I started to kind of expand outwards and say, is it injuries? Is it fatigue? Is it, is it lifestyle? Is it, is it the employer? I couldn't answer any one of those questions specifically, Jasmine, but the answer to the second part of your question is I wanted to do a PhD in Australia, by the way, is so far ahead in paramedic education. This was the place to come. But at the same time, they allowed me to do a PhD. I wanted to look at two things specifically. Does being a paramedic affect your health status, number one? And does health status affect you being a paramedic, number two? And that is my entire PhD. So <laughs> I'm sure you'll have follow-up questions, but that's that's the work that I've done. It took me about six years, and I tried to at least partially answer those two questions. And the answer to both of those questions is, uh, from my research, is yes, it does. It's almost like a what came first, like is it the chicken or the egg kind of situation? 
tradition there, isn't it? It is. And for those uh, in your audience might appreciate it. Uh, it's like Schrodinger's cat's experiment. Is the cat alive or dead inside? But it's, uh, it was, that was phrased to me by one of my supervisors probably about five years ago. And he said, this is really distilled what you're looking for. What correlates of, of health status affect you being a paramedic? And does being a paramedic affect how you report your own health? And that's, that was the gist of the, kind of the three or four things that I looked at in depth. How long were you actually working on the PhD for? Uh, I started in 2013. Actually, I started in a Master of Philosophy to get my feet under me and endorsed as a PhD candidate in March of 2014. Uh, submitted in December of 2018. Had, had passed just after that and graduated officially in August of 2019. So just over a year is all I have under my belt, Jasmine. So still still a little freaky when someone introduced me as doctor. Very long process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most part-time PhDs will run about six years and full-time PhDs are about, about three years. Wow. Thanks for that. So I think, as we said before, it's certainly a hot, hot topic in context and definitely relevant for student paramedics. I think, as mentioned before, with short-lived careers, I hear a lot five, 10 years as averages for injuries and burnouts, emphasising the importance of upkeeping our health. How do you see students are ready physically or logically to head on road as graduates? Yeah, that, that's a, it's an interesting take. And that, that how long is the average career of a paramedic is such a moving target. And there's very little in the literature about average length of career. And this is what I'm saying earlier about I think we can't measure a career by 30 years. We can measure a career by how long you want to be a good and productive paramedic. So for some they, who bow out after two years, having had a good time, that's one thing. And the others, uh, you call them lifers at, at 30 years, still still pushing a stretcher. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. And I think part of the research that we need to do, for, and, and this is especially important for you as a student paramedic and those that are listening, when you're trying to say to yourself, am I setting myself up for a, the longest career that I can? And if you're not, then what things would change that? And I think we need to, we need to discuss that. And maybe that's, this podcast can be part of that. So what we were finding is those things that affect health status and, and what health status affects when you're a paramedic are pretty predictable. And there seems to be some commonality in terms of the paramedics that I studied, and we followed them over kind of six months of their time, over blocks of shifts, they were wearing biometric shirts and self-reporting, and we had their call data, and we got to see them within each call, what was happening to all of their vital signs. And from that, we were able to build what I call a bit of a predictive model. And, and I think we should tease some of that out because it's pretty, some you'll think will be common sense, but some might surprise you. And the time to start thinking about it is right now when you're in school. Absolutely. So, Let's go to the, <laughs> which direction do you want to go from here, Jasmine? Like, I guess I'm interested to see, like, what are the key points to be ready to go on road? So you're working diligently. You're in a, a three or a four year degree program, which is unique in the world, I think. It's lovely. The theory that underpins your, your uh, practice is excellent. Uh, you're starting to practice your skills and you're starting to do placement. So I think you really need to start thinking about your first experience as a student paramedic, which is placement, and how are you reacting to it? So I'll use the term resilience and I use the term stress. Stress is not necessarily a bad thing, but it starts to visit itself during your university journey. And sometimes it shows up on placement. Stress is a reaction and it shows itself physiologically. And those are some of the things that we saw in our paramedic friends when we monitored them. Increases in heart rate, uh, change in heart rate variability, change in respiratory rate, uh, change in how they 
perceived fatigue. So getting yourself ready to be that paramedic as a student paramedic means that you need to understand that uh, paramedic practice is a relatively sedentary occupation. So in other words, uh, Jasmine, when you when you do a 12-hour shift, it's seldom will your heart rate leave zone one, all right? So it's kind of ticking along. Uh, if you, you have some predisposing health factors, something like high BMI, then sometimes it's higher. But you know, you're not burning a lot of calories. You're not essentially moving a lot. And step counts can be between four six, 8,000 steps, and your G-force production is not high either, although it's intermittently high. So here's the take-home. You need to prepare yourself mentally and physically for the stress and to become resilient. You need to have yourself as healthy as it can be so you're doing some physical activity outside of work and that you're, that you're eating well and that you're adapting to that um, rotating shift pattern, which is predominant in paramedicine. So when you start to put little ticks beside, I'm, I'm meal planning, I'm getting physical activity or exercise, I'm managing my sleep patterns, then all of a sudden the stress becomes to a certain extent attenuated and the resiliency increases. So that's that's a bit of a roadmap out of the gate. That, yeah, it makes a lot of sense there what you've just said. Um, I guess on road, from my experience too, you have a lot of paramedics and some are really good and they'll meal prep healthy meals and there's others who will just stop by Macca's quickly for a McMuffin at the start of the day shift. So That's cool. true. And and those that are listening, and even yourself, Jasmine, when you're reflecting on your own placement, think to yourself, how busy was I? How physically demanding was the job uh, throughout the entirety of the day? There's probably times that you were intermittently busy, intermittently physically demanding, lifting the patient off the floor, doing the pat slide, the um, restocking the truck. Um, the The definition of paramedic care involves one that is a mobile health care provider who's in a very cognitively and physically demanding role, but only intermittently. <laughs> so there's, there's long periods of time where you're sedentary, deployed in system status, you're in the crew room watching a movie, you're, you know, you're at the grocery store or in the lineup at the coffee shop, and all of those things are getting you ready, but they're not that physically demanding. So you always need to have this outside thought to say, all right, I'm not busy here, busy enough to be getting the great benefits from structured physical activity, like exercise, like we, we just got tons of benefits. So when am I going to do that? When am I going to, um, how am I going to prep my meals? You're right. Opportunistic eating has been studied in paramedics and it's prevalent. And when you start to link that with both self-reports and objective reports, cardiovascular disease rates in paramedics are high in some studies. Uh, metabolic syndrome, um, hypertension and prehypertension are all prevalent and endemic. So that comes from, in part, that opportunistic eating, lack of physical activity, and not attenuating stress well enough. Kind of long answers, but you got me going. Yeah, it's definitely very important, I guess, hey, at the end of yeah. the day, for a yeah. long-term, see us out for a long-term career. I know your research isn't too heavily based on mental health. However, in the climate of COVID-19, myself personally, and probably speaking for a lot of other students, have experienced increased stress with so many uncertainties bounded to being able to graduate or head on to placement. This is all in addition to normal stresses with OSCEs and exams and potentially other personal issues. What implications do you see that university and stress play on student health? Yeah, it's an understudied area, Jasmine, but it's actually one that I'm starting to devote some research time to. So we had the same thing. We are in the middle of a one in a hundred year pandemic, a worldwide epidemic. So that's incredible, this series of events. I 
I was a paramedic in, in just outside Toronto during the SARS epidemic in 2003 and understood, and this was a cousin of COVID, the seriousness of it didn't take the foothold that COVID did, COVID-19, but it, it, it awakened me. So you're right, the mental health and the, and the stress response and the lack of resilience are a direct result of those circumstances. And in university students, it's incredibly important that we pay attention to make sure that you're traveling well and that you're doing the things that you would be doing as a paramedic, the, the eating well and, and having time to relax. And we understand many of you lost your jobs in the service industry when COVID hit. I mean, how hard is that? And still being a full-time university student at the same time. I think mental, I want to shift my research over to mental health and resilience and how it's linked to physiology. And again, what we found, and I'll just backtrack a little bit, when we found what predicted big changes in physiology, so spikes in heart rate and respiratory rate, changes in blood pressure um, were linked to um, health status. And I'll speak specifically of a couple that we measured. And first was was uh, BMI, body mass index. And another one was somewhere where you were posted, gender, type of call you received. Um, but it was also directly linked to the level of cardiorespiratory fitness. So we, we fit tested about half of the subjects and found that the fitter, if you think of the term VO2 max, but the fitter they were from a cardiorespiratory point of view, the more attenuated their responses were on all of these calls. And I think circling back that this this would affect your mental health or could have could affect your mental health, I should say. So being able to have a little bit more bandwidth on a call or being able to handle a call better because you're just, your physiology, I, I think of a paramedic as being run by that engine and the engine is their physiology. It's how their heart and their lungs and their brain and everything and their kidneys all react to the job of paramedic. So we can't downplay mental health, but I think we need to link everything. Mental health studies that I read, some kind of don't say, well, what was, how is the person presenting from either a physiologic, physical, or even a, a, a fitness point of view? What what are the factors there? Do, are they, you know, a BMI of 32 and they're either pre-hypertensive or hypertensive? Are they borderline type 2 diabetic at the same time? So those are some things that we need to keep in play too. So uh, underpinning it all is the, if we pay attention to the physiologic response and head off some of those bad things that come down to everybody in the population, really, which is cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, then and it's going to free up more time, more more ability for you to be both that whole person and a really good paramedic. What would be your key tips to possibly like combat, I guess, this feeling during this time? Yeah. So during the university journey, I come from a fairly small program here at Griffith. Not sure what it's like in your school, but that connection that we have with the students, even, even in the virtual space, is really important. So maintain and grow that. These paramedics have been through a lot that are te your teachers or from the other disciplines and flag to them and to those around the university, if you're not traveling well, and it's hard to put your hand up, but I can, what I say to everybody that's listening is there's times that I have been, as a paramedic, I've been bent, which is that it's a medical term, <laughs> which means, you know, you're not traveling well. And I've had to put my hand up to say, I'm not really traveling too well right now. So do that. Maintain a, a strong connectedness with those around you, your, your uh, study buddies and your classmates, your family in particular. And I know not everybody can't do that sometimes. You can't even move interstate. We have students that live in another state and struggle to get here to go to school. But um, to help in those mental health things and um, know that the, that life doesn't begin and end with paramedicine. It's it's about looking after yourself as a person. That's where I'd start. Yeah, I think that's really important too. And I guess helpers aren't always um, the best to reach out for help too. I heard a friend say one and sort of stuff but I guess you need to and if you're going to burn out you need to reach out you do and it's it's probably the hardest thing to do but it's so good on the other side yeah and you're a whole person you know you, you I used to define myself by being a paramedic and like 
and how hard, how high can I go? But it's not, it's, it's about being a good paramedic and a good partner and a good, you know, son or daughter or, you know, and being a good person in the community and, and look after all of those things and you'd be a much better person. Absolutely. Thank you. Paramedicine is obviously a really unique job offering us uh, diverse opportunities or different jobs to attend in one shift. We learn a little about a lot and utilize a lot of drugs in different as newbies to the career, I guess this can definitely induce some anxiety. What advice could you give for both on placement on road or during OSCEs to manage the anxiety of what will I get next and keeping a cool head? Yeah, that's that's a good question. We actually studied this uh, last year. We I have an honor student by the name of Joel Marriott, and he wanted to study what that level of anxiety that existed just before delivering a critical skill, so like an OSCE type performance. So we we did a randomized control trial. And we, we had four mystery skills behind four doors and they didn't know what they were going to get. And we wanted them to have that normal level of anxiety. And we took half of them. And uh, the next day we sent them to a seminar. And the seminar was for, on mindfulness. Mindfulness meaning being centered, being aware of yourself. There's, there's small elements of meditation, but they also learned the uh, skill of box breathing, which is called tactical breathing. And these are used by tactical operators in those austere environments before a mission. And it involves a, a cyclical breathing technique. I don't know if you're familiar with it. So then the next day we brought all the students back, half that had taken the seminar, half that hadn't. And the half that didn't obviously had no idea that you know there was any change, but we allowed the other group before the mystery skills to practice their box breathing and become mindful. And uh, right now we're analyzing the data, but anecdotally it looked like it's promising. So for those that are in that in that heading towards OSCEs, and you're always heading towards an OSCE, a little bit of, of I'm going to suggest a little bit of background re- reading about how to become either mindful or, or just briefly centered. And that's just a little bit of self-meditation prior to. And I do believe the the um, although it's early to say that that the box breathing is is supposed to induce a heart rate variability, which is parasympathetic, which is more vegetative. So there are there's some good literature supporting it, and I hope that our research will ultimately be able to answer that question. So mindfulness, things like box breathing, and then step back one more step in the preparation for all of that. Good sleep hygiene good nutrition and, uh, you know, staying connected with all of your social supports before that. All very important factors. And I guess it's important for pretty much everything, I guess, those factors you just mentioned, aren't they? Um, So again, as mentioned earlier, with the short-lived career, it's important to take care of ourselves, um, as we're just speaking about, to prevent burnout and injuries. From a lecturer perspective, I'm pretty interested to hear whether you think that university adequately prepares and educates students for the different stresses of paramedicine prior to going on road? Okay, I'll answer that question, but I'll preface it by saying it is my only my opinion and not necessarily that of any employer that I've had or presently have. I don't think that as, a, as holistically, I don't think that we prepare students well enough for the, the occupation of paramedic. I think that we, we certainly adhere to what you would know as this, what were the CAA competencies and now the APRA competencies in terms of what they need to see in your program to make sure that you're learning what you're supposed to learn. But outside of that, I think we can, we can spend more time on that mind-body health, specifically the role of the paramedic outside of triple uh, zero state-based services. So that, that I, I maybe non-traditional role, the industrial, the sales, the training, things like that. And I believe, uh, and, and the, on the strength side is obviously that 
um, degrees have been going in Australia since 1996 uh, for paramedicine. So with all the universities into it, you're attracting some really talented paramedics who are becoming lecturers and learning how to lecture really well. So I think that we need to look at the whole student to adequately prepare them for the many occupations that are out there and then hone things like, um, are we assessing them accurately from start to finish? Are we, are we giving them content that's linked uh, to evidence? And are we, is the evidence actually linked to the practice? So the things that you learned in your classroom, Jasmine, that you practiced in, in labs, are they actually what are needed in the countryside when you're dealing with your sick patient? Very good point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on a other side of that, I um, I think I read a study that was in the um, AJP. Um, and it was related to a simulated night shift by Edith Cowan Uni. And yeah. they essentially trying to prepare students better for, I guess, the physiological demands of night shift. I certainly struggled on placement myself. Um, I found that really interesting that way that the uni was trying to prepare their students, um, which is, I guess it's positive, very positive for the, yeah, university. I would agree, I'd agree with that. And that's an example of out-of-the-box thinking that's perfect and, and illustrates what I was saying earlier, that holistic view. How well do the universities prepare you for a rotating shift pattern or even just night shifts in general? Or, or I guess, conversely, do we have a responsibility to do any of that? I think we do intrinsically. Uh, I'm not sure it's spelled out exactly in the competencies. But, uh, yeah, hats off to them. And I'm, I'm familiar with the research and I've read the article. So I think that's really good. Yeah, it was a good article to read, yeah. definitely. Um, to, yeah, just to adapt and acclimatize to it. Um, yeah. So... This is my, one of my final questions for you. So how would you say the first few years on road normally look like for a fresh paramedic? And would you offer strategies to thrive and succeed in the job, please? Okay. It's going to be the, I think it's key to success. And it's those, those first, let's say five years. And I'm not really basing it on literature. I'm basing it on anecdotal and, and kind of lived experience and, and a little bit of what I've found in my research. So First five years can set you up for a longer term career if you want one. And in that first five years, the biggest thing is you come in, and I'll use the word shift work naive, meaning that that you may not understand truly the, the circadian rhythm, the effect of rotating shifts, and how everything else, sleep hygiene, all that goes into it. If you can master that, master that in the first five years, I think you're going to set yourself up for a very successful career in terms of Perhaps it'll be as long as you want it to be. Um, so that's really, really, really important for those first five years. And I'll give you some a, a specific piece of advice. And that is model your practice around those whom you're watching in your workplace who are emulating those successful qualities of having mastered rotating shift and how they did it. They're coming to work fresh. You know, they're making it through the shift without, without um, seven monster energy drinks. Uh, and, you know, doing all kinds of opportunistic eating and dragging their, their self home at the end. Find them, ask them about it, model them. And when you do, you'll, you'll be well on your way to success. Don't rule out the fact that the first five years you can either develop or hinder your physical activity patterns. So if you were in, in a, a uni student playing a couple of sports, 
and now you're doing shift work and things start to drop off from a physical fitness point of view, all of a sudden your physiology starts to change and your blood pressure starts to inch up, things like that. So maintain or create a space where you can, um, where you can get some structured physical activity. New South Wales Ambulance has introduced on-station gyms to all, um, I think almost all of their stations. I think there's about 240. It's called the Medic Fit Program. And I, I think it's a model. It allows the paramedics to do some physical activity. And I know some stations are flat out busy, but over, over blocks of shifts or over a year, you should be able to get some of that needed physical activity while you're in the workplace. So there's, so there's some good examples and some tips for you. Cool. Thank you. That's actually really um, interesting about New South Wales. I didn't know about that. Um, would be great to endorse it, I guess, in more places. Um, but it all requires funding at the end of the day. Um, yeah, just emphasises the importance of eating, sleeping, exercising and the work-life balance really throughout all of this like conversation today, doesn't it? It does. All righty. Um, so thanks for joining today, Sandy. It's been a real treat. Do you have any final words of advice or inspiration for our students? Uh, well, I think if you're listening to the podcast, you're on the right track um, because you have an interest in this area. Jasmine, you deserve kudos for spearheading this. And I know that you chatted with my colleague, Steve Whitfield, before, and I think that's how my name popped up. But um, the fact that you're reaching out and doing these things and, and presenting it to the world means that you're, you're thinking about them. And when I was in, a new paramedic in 1992, I was not thinking about any of these things. I wanted a radio on my belt and free coffee at Subway. And that was it. So, so hats off to you. I think it is full circle. You're in, a, you're in tertiary education, one of the best paramedic education systems in the world. So take full advantage of it. I know that there's not a lot of jobs out there and there's a lot of you. So you want to make sure that you're doing things like this to make yourself better and more ready for when the call comes. Absolutely. Thanks, Sandy, very much. Appreciate your words today. And thanks for listening, everyone. If you guys have any tips or tricks for de-stressing or taking care of your well-being, please write them in. We'd love to hear them. Thanks for listening. You can find more great content on our website, paramedics.org. Got any feedback for the show or wanting more information? You can also find us by searching Student Paramedics Australasia on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and be sure to tune in for our next episode.